Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we're coming to you with a very special trade deadline edition. And I know we're late and we want to apologize for that, but you got to understand that we're a couple of hardworking guys. Sam, at, at 10.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, is just returning from the laboratory where he is learning physics that will make all of your lives better. So That's, that's debatable. but uh, So please forgive <laughs> us um, for our tardiness. But and, we're here. And, of, and, of course, last night Aaron uh, was unable to record because he's now the proud owner of a new car. That's true. That's true. Uh, last night I couldn't record because I absolutely needed a car. I've been getting around in my girlfriend's uh, whip, and that is no longer tenable um, as she's starting her work tomorrow. So I had to go out and get myself a nice little Kia Nero. And Sam, you know, it was a tough decision. I was looking at a couple different cars, but at the end of the day, the difference maker for me was I didn't want to have to look in the mirror and say, could have got a Kia, but I got a Hyundai. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I ended I, up with a Kia Nero. I don't know if that's a reference to something, but uh, it it, it, (laughs) it was funny. It is a reference to an old commercial they used to run. And I I understand why you don't know that since you've seen every commercial, but remember none of them. Um, But yeah, so we're here with you tonight and we're going to break down the trade deadline. Um, But before we do, there's been some crazy, this was a crazy week in sports since we came to you last. So um, obviously the central news uh, in the United States this week Uh, has regarded the shooting of Jacob Blake in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, Obviously, just a terrible, terrible act and um, another example of uh, some very deep-seated systemic problems in our country. And um, a movement, you could say, started in the NBA uh, with the Bucks, who obviously play in Wisconsin as well, um, who decided that they were not going to play their playoff game. And this was about 10 minutes before the game started. And the way it ended up was that both teams didn't play and it just got rescheduled and it kind of turned into this whole thing that we're going to talk about. But I do want to take a second here to talk about the Bucks because when they made that decision 10 minutes before game time, they didn't know that it was all going to turn out like this. They very well could have just forfeited that game, which I believe a series was tied at that point. No, no, it was uh, it was three one Bucks against Orlando okay. at the point. The question is, if they're in the Eastern Conference Finals and it's uh, Game Seven, do they still do it? Who knows? Sure, but yeah. you know we won't know the answer to that question. What we know is that even at three one, to forfeit a playoff game is a really big deal, or to be ready to do so. Um, so you know, hats off to them for uh, deciding that this was a way that they could use their platform to do more than just talk and have people listen to them because they're professional athletes. They could take action. They could shut down their sport for a day and force people to look. And this movement was quickly followed by other teams in the NBA Um, teams in the MLB picked up on it that day. And the following day, um, I think, Almost every team in the MLB had at least one game suspended. Yeah, um, I think every I think every team did mm-hmm. because of this incident. And uh, we're not here to say that it's all altruistic. Of course, Sam's Mets came out with uh, some some very hairy <laughs> discussions of why and how the games uh, were suspended. But well, but I, I would the players were were coming from a very good place on the Mets. Yes, it, absolutely. It was, the players uh, were coming from yeah. a good place all over. 
Um, and speaking of a good place, we do have Elvis Andrus taking Ryan Presley deep in the top of the ninth here to tie the game up 4-4 in the Battle of the Texas Clubs. Uh, so we'll keep our eye on that for uh, you. I feel like that was like uh, the Cincinnati Reds announcer right there. You're talking about like an important social issue <laughs> and in the middle of it, you have to make a call of a home run. <laughs> well, I mean, now that we're talking about now that we're talking about it, uh, the Cincinnati Reds announcer, Marty Brenneman, who actually had a relatively long Tom history Bre- in Arizona. Tom Brenneman, right? Tom Brenneman, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it is his brother Marty or relative Marty who had the history in Arizona. But Tom uh, did get caught on hot mic uh, using a homophobic slur that is uh, no longer acceptable in our society. And so he is out of here in Cincinnati. And what a week, folks. Like, we've just seen just about everything um but games are back now so sam if you want to say something i definitely don't want to take your uh take your chance to do so but games are back um and what i would like to throw to you is what has happened in the nba since then where do we sit right now in the nba playoff picture yeah so the all the eastern conference series are are through the first round and we've got um We've already got the the Celtics up 2-0 on the Raptors. They're looking really good. And Mm -hmm. honestly, they're looking good enough that I could see them getting out of the East. I'm not saying I think they will, but I'm saying I I think they've got a good chance. And let me stop right here here because it's game seven. uh, And Donovan Mitchell just turned the ball over with 10 seconds left down, two points. The Nuggets – oh, and the Nuggets missed the layup. And – Mike Conley's going to shoot for three to win it. Oh, in and out. If he had hit that three, they would have won game seven, but the Nuggets are moving on. Mike Conley, not the guy you want putting a three up at the end of the game. No, Mike Conley's a good shooter. It, it was a transition three. It was a hard shot. Uh, yeah. And Donovan Mitchell is looking devastated on, on, the, on the floor. The, the Jazz were, of course, up 3-1 in this series. Um, Jamal Murray goes to uh, console him. Uh, these two young stars just absolutely went off in these, this series. Both of them had multiple 50-point games, scoring efficiently, just draining threes. I'm sure we're going to see Donovan Mitchell back in the playoffs doing great things. But, uh, yeah, this is a really low-scoring game seven. I wonder if the pressure got to these teams because this was, this was a series that was really an offensive juggernaut by both teams, scoring a lot of points both games really efficiently. And this ended 80-78 Nuggets. Um, But I think, Sam, actually, I'm glad that you said that because um, Utah, I feel like, came into that game saying, if we want to win, we have to make them play our game. And Utah's best game is a defensive game. Staying behind Rudy Gobert, letting Donovan Mitchell create, who has been spectacular. And I'm glad that you brought up those two guys because Donovan Mitchell – um, has been good and he's caught media attention because like he's a he's a sick dunker um, he's a great personality for the NBA and like people know him he did kind of come out of nowhere but people know him now so seeing him go off like this was like out of you know his standard um, distribution of outcomes for the series probably from what we know but not crazy Jamal Murray has been quietly so so good for the last couple years and like it's weird because well, you watch. Well, I'd say I'd say Donovan Mitchell has been a better player the last couple of years than Jamal Murray. I I agree, but I think the the attention paid to them is disproportionate because you watch Jamal Murray. This is what I was getting at. You watch Jamal Murray. 
he doesn't do anything amazing. You know, he, he handles the ball well. He shoots the ball well. He gets the rim okay. But he doesn't do any of those things really, really well. But somehow he puts it all together in a game that is actually very impressive. And sure, Jokic is the best player on that team by a long shot. But Jamal Murray kind of makes him go, in my opinion. I think without him, um, they really struggle to have a dynamic offense. They have to run everything through the post. You know, and, he, and Jokic is a good passer through the post. But they have to run everything through the post in Jokic. And that team, I don't think, is quite as good. So he doesn't quite get the attention he deserves out there in the Mile High City. And I just wanted to give him some love. Yeah. And I actually, I actually think that uh, Jamal Murray needed to go off this series because, like, Gobert can kind of neutralize Jokic a little bit definitely uh, and, and like the Jazz are uh, sorry the Nuggets are really at their best when they can like have run the offense through Jokic have him be a distributor um mm-hmm. Gobert took that away a little bit this series and Jamal Murray was just in elite shot maker for six games was a bit inefficient today but um they, they got it done and uh, I think so. The Nuggets will be playing the uh, the Clippers now, I believe. Um, yeah, Clippers finished that series out. So we got Nugs Clips, and then um, the other game in the Western Conference Final that's amazing was uh, the Rockets Thunder game. We talked about this series so much. Sam and I are obviously invested in it. Um, but Sam, I know you watched that. Tell us how it came down. Yeah, I mean, so the 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 Rockets were up six points with a with a couple minutes left and and Chris Paul basically just won the game he hit a couple threes got a couple steals um the the Thunder end up winning by four forced the game seven Russell Westbrook who had missed the first five games of the series or maybe four I think he played game five was an absolute disaster and sort of the juxtaposition between these two guys who were traded for each other this offseason Chris Paul comes out and wins the game Russell Westbrook, basically, you know, it was the, I saw a tweet that this was the best playoff game he'd played for Oklahoma City in a few years. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he, he was bad. Um, and Is he as bad as Derek Dietrich trying to take second on a ball that literally just got past the first baseman's glove? Or uh, that's, that's hard for me to say because I was not watching the play. But okay, okay. I, I, he might have been he might have been even worse than that. And James Harden can't do it all alone um, as much Look, as he at, tries to. At the risk of sounding like an old guy, I, I have said this for a long time. Russell Westbrook, like Carmelo Anthony, can never win a championship on a team that needs him. So, like, Carmelo could go to the Lakers next year and win a championship, but only because the team didn't need him. They could have cut him and it would have been the same. The same thing is true for Russell Westbrook because, A, efficiency. I mean, don't even get me started on efficiency. But, B, attitude, shot selection, and just method of being a central focus on a team. I kind of feel the same way about Harden, but the difference with Harden is that he is a transcendent scorer. You could argue that he's a top-five scorer of all time in the NBA. I, like, nobody I, can do as many things as I, Harden I also – I, I disagree with you about Harden because at the end of the day – he was up three two on the greatest team of all time. Yeah, and in, no, 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 that's not finals. Sam. That's not the end of the day. That that was the beginning of the day because at the end of the day he lost that series. Sure, sure, but like say 
if you're up 3-2 against the greatest team of all time, then, like, you're good enough to be the best player on a championship team. Like, it didn't end up working out for him, but, like, they were good enough to do it. They didn't end up doing it. I See, I don't know. That doesn't – in the NBA more than any other sport, I'm going to say it's a show-me league. Show me what you've done. So 3-2 is not an accomplishment. Moving on from that, you, you'd have me saying, if they moved on and they lost in the finals, you'd have me saying, oh, definitely. James Harden has shown already that he can win a championship like this. But the fact that he got so close, I don't care that it was the greatest team of all time. The fact that he got so close and couldn't finish it, I think, furthers my point. Uh, I don't know about that, but, but we, can, we can disagree on it. Like, and I know I'm an old guy, but to get back to the point here, Chris Paul is the exact opposite of that. Chris Paul could never be the only guy on a team to win a championship the way that like Russell Westbrook is built to be that guy. But Chris Paul will always have a better chance of winning a championship with his teams because what he does is besides for play his ass off 24 seven, what he does is he always, always, always makes the people around him better. I, I mean, there's no question in my mind that Chris Paul has been a better player throughout his career than Russell Westbrook. And let's not forget, I'm just going to throw some names out there because I think people forget. Chris Paul did, in fact, play on the Charlotte Hornets with a very young and very ready-to-play David West. No, they, and I if, don't think they were ever this – no, he's on the New Orleans Hornets. Sorry, New Orleans Hornets. Yeah, New Orleans yeah. Hornets. When yeah. they were – they had those sick logos. Um with a very eager to play David West and a legendary three-point shooter in Peja Stojakovic, Sam knows Peja from a little NBA Live 2017 action. 2007. 2007. 2005 was the one we were grinding on GameCube. Oh, that was 2005. Wow. Yeah. See, I know him from a little NBA 2K8. Uh, I don't think I've ever been better at a video game than 2K8, but we don't need to go into that. We don't need to go into that. Um, so that's the NBA picture right now, uh, kind of disjointed, but a lot of interesting matchups still well, to go. Well, and we'll one, definitely, one other thing worth mentioning is that, um, oh, please. the, the Bucks are down one, one, nothing in the second round to the heat. Um, Jimmy Butler just scored 40 points. Giannis really had, I mean, he almost had a triple double, but. It was a mediocre game by his standards and he's got to be better if the Bucks are going to win. Yeah, I would agree. So we'll just leave it um, So now we'll move over to the MLB standings. Sam, anything caught your eye since we talked last? I mean, uh, there's one team that's lost five games in a row that I'm, I'm not super happy about. Well, there's another team that's lost uh, six out of their last seven, and let me tell you, I'm not super happy about it either. Yeah, I mean, the nature uh, – of course, we're talking about the, the New York Mets and the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, – the nature of this 18 playoffs is that if either of them get hot, they can still make it clearly. Um, but Here's something. It's, it's, getting, it's getting late. And we're going to talk more about them, folks. Don't worry, because they were both active at the deadline. Here's something that I, I'd love to bring to our viewers' attention. On the last episode, we mentioned two very surprising teams, the Orioles and the Marlins, who had just kind of started to get their game numbers back up. And we both said, well, the Orioles look like they have a chance to be for real, but the Marlins, they really suck. The Marlins are still a game over 500, while the Orioles have plummeted three below and now stand eight out uh, of the American League East. So were we right? 
Yeah, I mean, yes I, on paper, but I'll, not I'll, how it played out. I'll still maintain that the Marlins are not playing well. They're still, you know, their base runs expected standings. Sorry, their base runs expected record is still only 11 and 19. We're talking about basically the luckiest team in baseball so far. Um, of course, the the two unluckiest teams in baseball by base runs expected standings are the Angels. Uh, who should actually be playing something like 500 balls, but are in They're fact, 12, 12 games, games under 500. Under 500. So, so, Holy cow. So we're literally talking about a, a, a six-game difference in terms of sort of how they've played in a, in a sequence-neutral uh, way compared to their actual record. And, and the second unluckiest team by this metric is, is uh, my New York Mets, who have actually played something like a 19-16 and 16 team. But are uh, but are now um, are now uh, after their loss today, I believe, fifteen and twenty. Um, they are fifteen and twenty-one. Fifteen and twenty-one. For them, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's not pretty. They they they're just putting on a clinic in in finding ways to lose games every day. So just to keep you kind of abreast on what's going on. In the American League, right now we have the Rays atop the AL East by three and a half games. The White Sox have the Central by a game. The A's have the West by a game. The Astros have the second spot in the West by six games. The Indians have the second spot in the Central by a game and a half. So please note that the Twins, who haven't even played all that bad, although they are three and seven in their last ten, they've fallen to two and a half out of the lead and a game and a half out of the second place spot. The Yankees have uh, the second place spot in the AL East by two games over the Jays. So the next two teams in, because remember we have eight teams from each league, which I cannot believe I keep saying. The next two teams in are the Twins and the Blue Jays. So that's how it stands right now in the American League. In the National League. And, and I'll continue Bru- to say that in the American League, you know, there's surprisingly very little of a race for the, for the seventh and eighth seeds you know, compared to what you'd expect when eight teams are making the playoffs in a 60-game season. Like, it really looks like the eighth seed is going to come down to, like, the Blue Jays, maybe the Tigers, who have now won five in a row and, and brought themselves back into the picture, and, and the Orioles, maybe. Uh, but outside of that, you know, there's not really any team, like, no, the Royals are a dumpster fire. The Mariners, Rangers, and Angels are all a dumpster fire. And the Orioles, maybe. You know, like as Sam said, maybe they have a chance. But it's just crazy to see because the Angels, and I know they're supposed to be playing on the level of 500 ball, but at this point, they're almost mathematically eliminated, like, from the from the lead of their division, not from the playoffs because the eight teams. Yeah. But it's well, crazy to think about. I, I guess that, so. They're twelve and twenty-four. That's thirty-six games. So that's twenty-four games remaining. You assume they're probably going to have to go something like five hundred for the eighth seed to have a chance. I mean, the the Blue Jays are currently there, and they're two games mm-hmm. above five hundred. So that means they have to play twelve games above five hundred in twenty-four games. That's eighteen and six. I mean, that's at the that's, at the minimum. Yeah, that that's not impossible, but that's they'd have to play out of their minds. Yeah, they're staring down the barrel of a very difficult task. The job is truly no different for the Rangers, who, yes, have an extra three games, but still those same six losses are basically all they have in, uh, you know, to spare there. And the Royals are done. The Red Sox are 12 and 23. So they're in the exact same position as the Angels. And that just goes to your point, Sam. The American League is, it's definitely not set. 
but we have a very clear picture of what it's going to look like in a week or two. The National League is a crapshoot. And offline here, we were just talking about the fact that if one of these bad teams gets in, <clears throat> Giants, I'm going to be furious. Yeah, the Mar- if, I swear to God if the Marlins make the playoffs. Because Sam and I say that, and obviously we pick the division that affects us because we know, like, if the Marlins make the playoffs, the chances that the Mets do it are very slim. If yeah. the Giants make the playoffs, or the Rockies for that matter, who I don't think are that bad, but they're not good, then the chances the D-backs make the playoffs are slim to none. Yeah, I mean, the Mets and D-backs have really dug themselves in a hole. They're certainly not in as big of a hole as, as the Angels because – if you look at the way the National League records are setting up, I think we're going to see a below 500 team in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's pretty likely at this point. Um, so, you know, there are, you know, about, you know, six or eight teams that are in contention for, for those seven and eight seeds. Probably pretty much everybody but the Pirates still has a chance to get into one of those spots. Uh, Pretty much. I mean, in fairness, like the Nats, D-backs, and Mets are all like in a tough spot. It's not as tough as the Angels, as you just said, but let's look at the Nats. They're 12 and 21. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's not that much better than the Pirates who are 10 and 22. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm I'm basing something off of like which team I think is better. Like, I think it's more likely the Nats have – a, a nice run to end the season in the Pirates, but yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Um, so that's uh, that was how the American League is shaping up, as I mentioned. But now I do want to talk about the National League. The Braves have two and a half on the Phils. The Cubs have two and a half on the Cardinals, and the Dodgers have four and a half on the Padres. So those are the six teams in right now. Now the next two in after that are the Marlins at five sixteen. But as Sam mentioned, right now, the eighth team in are the Rockies with a 486 winning percentage. That's an under 500 club. It's only a game under 500 right now, but they're, to they're Sam's also, point. They're also losing 17-2 to two to the Giants right now, so that might flip. Yeah, they're just getting absolutely hammered right now, 18-2 to two now. Um, and that raises the question. That's going to tie the Rockies. and uh, No, actually, it's going to put the Giants ahead of the Rockies. The Giants will be 18 and 19. The Rockies will be 17 and 19. How? How did this happen? As the Pirates, by the way, and I'm, I'm here to update you, the Pirates are trying their darndest to lose this game. They're throwing the ball around the diamond in the top of the ninth of a tie game. Um, but they do have two outs. Chris Bryant just moved to second. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that. So... Guys, this is crazy to think about because baseball just got here, right? This is like our fifth episode with the season actually happening. The season's over in like four-ish weeks, like four and a half weeks. Yeah, man, a 60-game season is so stupid. (laughs) It's so stupid. And every time I hear one of these, you know, because with uh, MLB.TV, you hear all the local announcers. You pick who you want to hear home or away. But you hear announcers from all over the league. So, you know, I got feelings about everybody. But all the time, you'll hear some moron play-by-play guy. You almost never hear the color guys who are ex-major leaguers say this. But you're some moron play-by-play guy go, you know, and maybe we'll see these changes stick around. I think a 60 or 75-game season may really be the way to go. It drives me nuts. No, it's not. It's an absolute crapshoot. Look at what's happening in the league right now. You don't have the best teams winning. 
Yeah. You I mean, have some weird, like, early season distribution. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the Nats aren't going to finish the season nine games below 500 in a 162-game season. Uh, you know, teams are dealing with injuries. Teams are dealing with players slumping. Uh, teams just, are dealing with players sneaking out of the clubhouse and going, yeah. you know, to hang out with their friends. It's and a we'll, weird uh, season. We'll definitely talk about that in the trade deadline. Uh, oh, yes, we will. With, with that, let's let's get into uh, to some of the trades because a lot Smooth happened. Smooth segue. And I will say that I was sort of I, – I, more happened than I thought was going to happen. My thought was basically, you know, we're talking about – 20 games like are you really gonna trade for someone now i understand trading for someone that has another year of control but are you really gonna trade for you know rental pieces for 20 games that yeah you know maybe it'll make you better in the playoffs but who knows in small sample sizes like it really didn't make much sense for any team to give up any pieces for rentals uh in my mind but but then they did yeah we'll talk about but we'll talk about the trades that, that went through. Because at the end of the day, Sam, and let's say this just to start it off, because this is what sets the table. At the end of the day, I understand what you're saying. That doesn't make sense to trade for rentals. But like the MLB has not indicated that this winning the championship this season is going to be any different than winning it in any other season. So the thought is, especially for a team like the Marlins, who we'll talk about in a sec, is well, we don't have a chance in a full season. You know, ownership knows that in the back of their minds or somewhere deep down. But we do have a chance this year. So it might be our best decision not to totally mortgage our future, but to part with some pieces to try and take advantage of the statistical anomaly that we find ourselves in as the Cubs run themselves into the third out of the inning at home because the Pirates continue to throw the ball around the infield, but get lucky here. Unbelievable. But my counterpoint to that, though, is because of the statistical anomaly of a trade deadline that happens with 25 games left in the season, like, is it really even that more likely that the guy you trade for, is, even if he's a better player, is going to play better than the scrub that was playing there over 20 games uh, otherwise? Maybe that guy gets hot. Like Sam, I, I couldn't be more happy that you brought that up because it gives me a chance to talk about my fantasy team for two minutes here here's (laughs) what's happening in the league okay the the guy who is leading our rotisserie league right now has traded away all of his pieces and picks in our keeper league for players this year because he keeps losing in the semis in the quarters in the finals in our real league so he says okay i'm in the lead right now i gotta cash in he's cashing in on all of his picks I have a bunch of people coming to me because I'm sitting in second place. Last time we talked, I was in fifth, but you know, I've made some savvy moves since then. So I'm, I'm up to second place right now. And people are coming to me. They're saying, Aaron, give me some of your keepers. Cause you have by far the best team in the keeper league. And uh, I'll give you some players to compete with Han this year, but here's the calculus for me. The keeper league is the only thing that matters. And to your point, and this is the only reason I bring this up. I personally believe I can get as much value out of riding waiver wire guys who get hot. Like I'm playing Jesse Winker every day right now. Would I do that in a full season? Hell no, but I'm doing it right now because he is hot as hell. And I think I can continue to ride these hot arms. I'm picking up pitchers that are just dealing every day. I can ride these hot arms 
to success. I can ride these hot bats to success just as much as if I trade for, you know, Cody Bellinger and Corbin Burns, who, who's a big, a nice big package that's been offered to me. They're going to be good. But also I could find their production on the bench by mixing and matching guys that are hot because this season is just so weird and so short. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But with that, let's get into some of the moves that, that happened. And I'm just sort of going to throw stuff out from, from a list. We'll maybe just mention some moves that aren't that interesting and, and get into the details of some that we find interesting. But uh, we mentioned on the last episode the Phillies sort of trading for the, those two relievers. Uh, but I think the, the first trade that happened after that was uh, the Blue Jays getting a Taiwan Walker from, from the Mariners uh, mm-hmm. for a player to be named later. Uh, what did you think of this move? I mean, I've always been a Taiwan fan. The guy is like big. He has pretty good control of his pitches. He doesn't throw super hard, but he throws hard enough. And he's just been injured consistently. So he started off pretty well with the Mariners, two and two with a four ERA. I hate players to be named later, mostly because I don't know who they're going to be till they get named. So I can't judge the trade really because people I think think of players to be named later as always like really bad or auxiliary pieces. Cause in a big trade, that's kind of who they are. But in a trade like this, the player to be named later could be a top 50 prospect well, in their and, organization. And, and I'll also note that that only players that are on the 60-man uh, sort of pools were eligible to be traded. So I think there will be more players to be named later in these deals because there are going to be certain prospects that just weren't part of the 60-player pools. Exactly. Um, That's exactly right. So I, I think this is really smart from the Blue Jays because since we're talking about them, I'm also going to mention another trade that's not chronological but is extremely important. The D-backs sent Robbie Ray, um, who has been doing an incredible, incredible impression of the worst pitcher to ever play in the major leagues this season, um, to the Blue Jays. And this kind of like finishes their rotation. They'd already added Chase Anderson and Hugh Jin Ryu earlier in the year. And they also got Ross Stripling for a player to be named later. So they basically filled out positions three through five. They said Nate Pearson is not quite performing like we want him to right now. He's injured too, right? Nate Pearson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, But he didn't look great in his first couple starts. And the other thing too about Ross Stripling especially is that he's kind of a swing man. So he'll start for them, but also there could come a time where maybe Nate Pearson comes back. He's looking good, whatever. They put him in the bullpen. He throws, you know, three, four innings off of a Chase Anderson start who doesn't throw that many innings or off of a spot start. Um, He's a really versatile guy who's done it all for the Dodgers. So I like what the Blue Jays did here, and that certainly includes the pickup of Taiwan Walker. I think they shore up their rotation. I think they have a lot of young, promising bats. Um, I I will say uh, among, among, you know, pitchers that teams took flyers on uh, this offseason – Great job by the Mariners to to find Taiwan Walker for for basically nothing and then just get an organizational piece for him. I mean, don't get me started. I said the D-backs should resign him, and they didn't. I don't understand why he pitched fine for them while he was pitching. And the Mets signed, you know, Michael Walker and Rick Rick Porcello. Right, right. They would have been better off with Taiwan Walker. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm going to get more into the D-backs when we get to the trade that really just makes me scratch my head, but... 
But I will um, say also with with Robbie Ray is you know, yes, he. he oh yeah, was, but let me let me talk about Robbie Ray for a second. Okay. okay. This guy has always driven me nuts. So let me preface it with that. He is a Patrick Corbin type strikeout pitcher where it's just like, I'm basically not going to throw pitches that are hittable to you. So you're either going to walk or strike out every time. And Patrick Corbin is extremely good at it. Robbie Ray has been good at it for stretches in his career. But at the end of the day, it's the most frustrating thing in the world because if you are not precisely, precisely on, as Robbie Ray has not been, you end up doing what he's done this year, which is walking as many guys as innings he's pitched. I think he's pitched only 18 innings, which is a testament to how difficult this is because your pitch count goes through the roof. He's pitched like 18 innings. He's walked 18 guys. And, and, you and just, he's just, you just been – What? Yeah, I, you just don't see starters walk as many guys as Robbie Ray anymore. No, it's disgusting. Yeah. And so – Everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe the haul they got back for Robbie Ray. I'm saying, I can't believe that anyone wanted Robbie Ray. I can't believe anyone paid for Robbie Ray right now. And they did. They got some minor leaguer for Robbie Ray. Um, and that's the best they could have done because he's going into his free agent year where, by the way, he's already lost himself millions and millions of dollars. He's going into his free agent year and he's been awful this year. So I, I think it's fine that they traded Robbie Ray. Um, the other guys, as I mentioned, we'll get to Sam started something good here, which is chronological. So I'm going to continue that. Um, the white Sox got Gerard Dyson from the pirates. Uh, this is not a huge deal, but a nice piece for the White Sox who know that Gerard Dyson could be that type of pinch runner that really can be a game changer in the playoffs as they expect to see themselves in the playoffs it, right now. Especially with like sort of the larger rosters this year. You can you can afford to keep like a, a pinch runner type on, on your Exactly. Um, and he's a good defender and he can definitely make contact. Like I think that's a good but like not spectacular pickup for them. Um, what I did find just shocking, Sam, was that the Angels moved Tommy Lastella and they moved him in the division. Yeah, uh, but I guess they just – how many years of control does, does Lastella have left? I think they still had three years on him. Let me double-check that for you, but yeah. um, I think oh, no, they had so a he'll, he'll be a free agent. Um, and, no, so he's a free agent after the season. Uh, uh, yes, you – yep. Yep, you're correct. He's so, a free agent in 2021. So it, from that sense, you know, as we just talked about it, the Angels have basically played themselves out of it. So it makes sense to get a piece for it. Um, and, and Franklin Barreto hasn't been good, but he's at least someone with some pedigree. And also, I like that return for them just because he does have the pedigree, as you mentioned, and he replaces Listella well. He's a contact bat who can play a number of positions. He obviously hasn't done it. Um, to the ability of Listella. And before I even get into this, I don't want any of you yokels out there trying to tell me Listella is not a contact back because he hit 16 home runs in 80 games last year. Like when you talk about flukes, you talk about flukes. You talk about Tommy Listella hitting 16 home runs in 80 games in 2019. Like that's just absolutely bananas. But um, Franklin Barreto kind of fills that um, need that Tommy Listella leaves on the Angels. And I, I agree with you, but I did find it unusual that they'd trade him to the A's. They do have a little rivalry there, and, but you know, if, but that if you're, deals if you're, are deals. But. If you're making 
organizational decisions over having a rivalry with a team, like, that's just malpractice. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Now, yeah. here's one that I love the headline here. I'm, I'm literally reading a headline as we speak that say, Padres bolster bullpen with Rosenthal. What does that mean to you, Sam? Uh, I mean, Trevor Rosenthal's a guy who's been a good reliever in the past. He was terrible last year, but he's he looks good again this year. So I, I would say this. Sam, does he look good again this year? Like, sure, he's striking out 14 guys per nine. But his ERA is still 307. I know he has seven saves. The Padres have done well with pitchers, but he's – I don't know. I don't think he's looked good, and he's been a nightmare previously. Let me just tell you, he had a 13.5 ERA in 15 innings last year. I know it's not a ton, but it's still pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, the question is, do, do you believe in the past performance enough to think that last year was a fluke and he's, and he's found his form again? And I, I'm willing to believe it, and I think, you know – the Padres, I, I, you know, we'll it's not get... like he was great the year before that. He strikes out a ton of guys, but I mean, the year before that, he had a a, a two point one seven fifth. Like he would, yeah, I he, guess, but a two point really five nice. five x fifth. I mean, that's still great. I mean, yeah, it's still really good. I'm surprised he was that good. I guess 2017 was longer ago than I think. Yeah, I mean. Uh, we'll oh, oh that's why. That's why. Because it wasn't the year before. It was two years before, but he didn't play in 2018 yeah, because he yeah. had Tomers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll see. The Padres, though, obviously um, did some bigger deals. And one of those deals was to get Mitch Moreland from the Red Sox. Yeah. And, you know, he's the type of guy that the Padres – okay, I'd I say the Padres have more or less locked up the number two spot in the West. We're not, we don't, we don't talk like that on this podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? We don't slander the Arizona Diamondbacks <laughs> by gifting the number two spot to the San Diego Fathers. It, 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 we, I just can't say it. I can't say it out loud. You All can right. say it. I well, can't say I, it. Well, I'm going to say it out loud. The Padres are going to make the playoff. Oof, um, we'll see. And Moreland, as, as the D-backs, by the way, are losing six to one to the Dodgers. And Moreland's the type of bat that's nice to have in a playoff series. Sam, serious question. Because uh, you say that, and that's my initial reaction too. Is like, wow, love having Mitch Moreland come off the bench. He's also been really good this year. He's been yeah. mostly platooning, but yeah. Let, let's say right-handed pitcher. Right-handed power pitcher. Who would you rather have starting at first base, Mitch Moreland or Eric Hosmer? Oh no, I still think you're starting Hosmer. But like, no, I think they're going to start Hosmer. But if I got a guy up there throwing 97 plus, Eric Hosmer does not hit fastballs. If I had a guy up there throwing 97 plus and he's a righty, I want Mitch Moreland at the plate, who is a really good fastball hitter, a really good hitter overall, and really hits righties well. Then Eric Hosmer, who I don't care how well he's playing this season, you, every time you, you, you he makes contact, I'm like, oh you, you don't believe in the Eric Hosmer breakout? No, what? What Eric Hosmer breakout? 
he accidentally has like a home run to fly ball rate that is just through the roof, if I remember correctly. But he's hitting the ball in the air. He's never done that before. Yeah, he's never hit the ball in the air, but he, he was 40 pounds soaking wet before he had a GI tract problem. Now he's 32 pounds soaking wet, sopping wet. I, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't see it, Sam. Yeah, well, regardless, I think it certainly doesn't hurt the Padres to have Moreland on their team now. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know anything about the prospects they gave up. Yeah, so the prospects they gave up were Jason Rosario as well as Hudson Potts. Uh, let's just ignore Potts for a second because it's not – he really is not a big piece in that. Rosario, from all accounts, is a relatively toolsy player. He's never been past high A, but he's striking out about as much as he's walking, 15-ish percent to 20-ish percent on the Ks. Um, a, definitely a line drive hitter with some upside. But what do you know about a guy in high A? So they do what they need to do is they look for tools. Okay, um, and but, but just lo- looking at his – Looking at him as just like having a prospect pedigree at all, like that's not a bad return for the Red Sox. Just exactly. Something. Um, exactly. And to your point, like Mitch Moreland. I'll also sorry, note though, that the Padres have like basically the best farm system in baseball or the second best. So they, they can deal from, from the depths of it. Well, yeah, those are guys who are top 100 prospects and like. 15 or more systems in the major leagues and they don't register in the Padres system because the Padres are so deep right now. Um, Here's an interesting one, Sam, the Atlanta Braves whose rotation has just been absolutely brutal this year. um, Add Tommy Malone. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's better than anyone they have besides Max Fried right now. And, but uh, but, like, is he, though? Like, is he better than the guys they can bring up from the minors? I haven't seen Bryce Wilson start a game this season. I would rather have Bryce Wilson on the hill than Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone had one good start this season. Like, oh, I, why? Why are we, Why are we as a, the Braves organization, which I suddenly just got hired into, why are we going out and getting – a starter who has proven how truly bad he is. I mean, when we could just be developing talent within our own system at a, at an equal risk, probably. But it's, it's two players to be named later. So again, it totally depends on who those players are, but yeah, I'll, I'll put it right. This way. Right. If they gave up, no, if they gave up you and me, yeah, then I think it's a good deal for them. I'll put it this way. At the Braves, I think, outside of Max Freed, their starters have like something like a seven ERA this year. So, yeah, maybe they have one guy Sam. they could. Yeah, Sam, I'm going to read you Tommy Malone's ERAs since 2016. <laughs> okay, in 2016 he had a five seven one. In 2017 he had a cumulative, basically seven point five. Uh, between three teams, one of those being the Mets, where he had a stellar 8.56 ERA across uh, 11 games. Then he had a 581 in 2018. Then actually he broke out in 2019 with a 476. And this year, this year, 
Oh, oh no, his career ERA is five sixty eight. This year he's got a four ERA, so he is having a career year right now. But why is that a guy you're trading for? I, I don't with the Braves. I don't get it. They have enough minor league talent. It doesn't make sense to me. I basically. I think their pitching has been such a disaster that I I don't mind just adding another arm, just seeing if seeing if a pitcher can get hot for a few games because like they just can't go into a series and throw Max Free every game. And I'm not saying yeah. Tommy Malone's like the answer. He's he's not. Yeah. But he's just okay. like okay, maybe you found a pitcher who can get hot for a few games. Um, I agree with you from that perspective because at the end of the day, like he could end up throwing three innings as a reliever. Like that's a spot I, I feel like he maybe is comfortable in. Um, here's one, Sam, that I don't really know how to take. So the Cubs get Carlos or Carlos, the Cubs get Jose Martinez from the Rays. I talked about Jose Martinez early in the season. I actually ended up drafting him on my yeah, on uh, fantasy team, right? team originally. Uh, well, he's not on anymore because I told you I'm riding the waivers. So guys like that, like only the core, like top 10 picks are on my team permanently. Um, but this, he can't play the outfield. Like Kyle Schwarber can't play the outfield, but he plays it a hell of a lot better than Jose Martinez does. Jose Martinez is, and I'm not hyperbolizing here, one of the 10 worst defenders I've ever watched with my own two eyes in a major league baseball game. He is so bad. So, for this season, this trade is amazing. The Cubs get a guy in Jose Martinez who adds left-handed power to their lineup, which honestly, uh, well, they right, could right use. Hand, right-handed power against left-handers. <laughs> right-handed power against left-handers. And yeah. honestly, it's not even the power, it's the contact. You know, the guy could hit 330. Um, and so that's great. But when the DH leaves the National League, which it presumably will after the season, presumably... What do the Cubs do? Maybe. So that's the question. Are they betting on the DH sticking in the National League? Is that why they make this trade? Yeah, I guess so. Again, you know, who could they give up? Two players to be named later. It, it's just so hard to evaluate a lot of these deals because you're like, I know. You're like, well, what, what, what are the pieces going back? Presumably the teams have. Especially, teams. again, from a team like the Rays, similar to a team like the Padres. A player to be named later for the Rays like could be a really exciting guy in another organization because their minor league system is still so deep. Well, but the Rays are the ones giving up Jose Martinez. So the players. Oh, sorry, later. from the Cubs. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I got that mixed up in my head. The Cubs system is trash. They're going to be bad. Yeah, but then again, Jose Martinez was kind of sucking for the Rays, so they're not really giving up. That's much. true. They're not losing much, but they had him till twenty twenty three. Yeah, and and like. I think I, they saw what a talent he is, and like I, they could have worked with him. Don't tell me they want G-Man Choi till twenty twenty three more than they want Jose Martinez. Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess I I find it hard to question what the Rays are doing, though. I feel like if they do something, like, yeah. they probably have a reason for it. We say that we've said this before. <laughs> there's some there's some people who like if we question, we start to question ourselves, and the Rays organization is one of those people because they just always know what they're doing. Um, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, the Rockies took a reliever from the Orioles, and so did the Mets, Sam. Which reliever do you like better? Um, 
You know what? I haven't watched enough Orioles games to to give my opinion, but I'm gonna host. I'm gonna hope it's Castro. <laughs> so, so you know, um, the Rockies traded uh, Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vavra. I, I had to read that last name like twice because I do not believe that consonants are supposed to come in that order. V's and R's really should not uh, meet. They just they don't mesh. Um, but they give those two minor leaguers up who I honestly don't know for Michael Givens of the Orioles, who's pitched very well. He pitched pretty well last year. He's proven himself as a closer. Um, and it's a good ad for the Rockies, but the Mets get Miguel Castro, who, to be honest, I like better. Cause I've seen him pitch a number of times and he's like Jordan Hicks light. He has a couple pitches that just ride and never stop riding until they get to the dish. Like yeah, I mean, they are tough to hit. He he's striking out almost fourteen baggers per nine this year, or walking fewer than three. Uh been giving up the long ball a lot, but has a two point six X FIP. So yeah, hopefully he's a hopefully he's a nice piece for the Mets. because uh, that's what happens, Sam. And I just want to point this out to our viewers. Like when you throw that hard, guys know we gotta sit fastball. You know, uh, eventually a world as Chapman even, the hardest thrower ever in this sport, had to develop a slider because guys would just sit fastball. And even if that fastball moves you're eventually going to throw one, you know, if you're a righty and that thing's tailing, you're going to throw one coming back into a righty or you're going to throw one coming out of lefty's body that comes back into the plate. And they're going to be able to get some wood on that because they're sitting on one time. So it just goes to show like these guys are finely tuned um, and heat alone, even heat and movement uh, won't do it if you can't change speeds a little bit, which is why Jordan Hicks is as good as he is. Um I, I, I'm going to like to see him in their bullpen, Sam. Their bullpen on paper looks really good. Uh, unfortunately, it won't make a difference this season. Yeah. Um, so then the, the the next sort of, I want to put two deals together, and that's that if, if we were going to put a weakness on the, on the Padres this year, it was going to be their catching situation. Austin Hedges is completely incapable of hitting a baseball. Francisco Mejia was supposed to be capable of it, but, but it hasn't really looked like it. Um, and they, they got two catchers. They got uh, Jason Castro from the angels, who is also, you know, notably not great at hitting, but is considered a really elite defensive catcher, both in terms of framing and blocking and, and throwing out runners. Uh, and they also got Austin Nola from the Mariners, um, and and actually gave up a pretty big prospect for for Nola. Uh, they gave up Taylor Trammell, who is um, one of the top. Originally with the originally with the Reds. Yeah, and he and he's he's sort of a one of the top prospects in the in in their system. Not actually big. though, actually though, Sam, his stock has fallen this year because he hasn't played particularly well. But you're certainly right that he's a big name. He's a big prospect, and I think that speaks to how much the Padres and the industry, because if it was only the Padres, they wouldn't have had to pay that price, but how much the industry thinks of Aaron Nola, who has been third in all of catchers in war since 2018. This is a guy who's kind of flown under the radar, but he gets it done behind the dish. He's actually positional versatile. So he's played some second base, Wait, he's played some first base. Austin Nola is third and that's impossible. Uh. No, not third in all catcher war. I think third in the American League. We can check that, though, obviously. Um, He's looked really good at the plate this year, though. 
This is a guy who's been pretty good, and obviously the industry um, thinks highly of him. Uh, highly enough that the Padres felt they needed to part with uh, Taylor Trammell, who I personally think is a great player. But it's not just Taylor Trammell that surprised me here. The Austin got Nola, Ty France. Yeah, yeah. But but hold, hold up. Austin Nola is Aaron Nola's brother, right? That's correct. Yeah, okay. Ty France was playing like four days a week for the Padres. Like the it's not just that the Mariners got a prospect hall. Like they got a someone who's going to become an everyday player for them probably. They got rid of Daniel Vogelback, which is another trade that we can talk about. But this, I think Ty France makes their lineup on a daily basis. So this was kind of a crazy trade. And I got to hand it to Jerry DePoto, who amongst baseball fans is legendary for his ability to wheel and deal. It's never helped him because the Mariners suck. But um, this guy loves to I mean, make he, trades. He and gave this up, is a good one. He gave up one of the best hitters in baseball, Robinson Cano. I just don't know how you, uh, how you give him right, any Right, Sam. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just trying to remember, was that your original take on the trade? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So we're talking about the pods. Why don't we keep it rolling? This is what everyone's been waiting for. We shouldn't have buried the lead. The Padres acquire Mike Clevenger, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last few years, um, from the pod or from the Indians. And it's not just like Clevenger on a rental. They get Clevenger till 2023. Yeah. I mean, it's really a lot. And I'd say the price was, it wasn't that high. I mean, no. they gave up Cal Quantrill, who, like, might be a decent pitcher, but he's not that good. They no, gave up. Not that good. They gave up Austin Hedges. Uh, they gave up who Josh, they didn't want anyway because yeah. he sucks. They gave and they had just traded for two catchers. Right. They gave up Josh Naylor, who I don't think is very good. Well, he's okay, but what confuses me about Josh Naylor is like. Yes, the Indians have a, an offensive problem in their outfield, but they already have Fran Mel Reyes like doing what Fran Mel Reyes does. Josh Naylor is like a shitty Fran Mel Reyes, so I, I don't I, I, really get the desire in I, him. I don't understand how the Indians keep trading really good pitchers and not getting a good outfielder back. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, 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 Every, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. They, they always trade for an outfielder, and every single time, he's trash. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Like, why did they get Delino to Shields? <laughs> yeah. What are I even know that's not the right... Anyway, so let's talk about what this does for the pod, Sam, because they're moving a lot of pieces around. They're looking like they exactly. have the ability to... Con- Hey, careful with what we say. <laughs> they might have the ability to contend with the Dodgers over the next couple of years. The Dodgers uh, are youthful. They're a great organization, great team. The Padres are building something. Yeah. I mean, okay, we're talking about now a top three in the rotation of Lamette, Paddock, Clevenger moving forward. I'm not sure that's actually the order I'd put them in. I'd put I, Clevenger's the best there. Uh, I have Clevenger, Paddock, Lamette. Lamette can ride the pine for the rest of the season. <laughs> You're such a Lamette hater. You're just mad, you're just mad that I made a, a brilliant call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, they have, you know, one of the best young players in baseball, one of the best players in baseball, period, 
in Fernando Tatis Jr. Man, Man he's Man, showing us something this season. Manny Machado. He's showing us something. Yeah. Manny Machado, of course. Uh, Jake Cronenworth. I mean. This, we talked about him last episode. That's, that's a star star infield right there. Um, Hosmer. The question. Well. Here's what I love about the pods, though, is that they, they traded all these outfielders away. Ty France is a first baseman, but he also played some corner outfield for them. They kept Will Myers. Like, do we believe in Will Myers? Is he a power hitting guy who could steal 20 bases or is Will Myers just an automatic K factory? Does he produce more K's than any other factory in the United States? I mean, he's, he's, he's looked really nice this year. Uh, he has, but they basically bet on him. They were like, all right, we didn't believe in you. We shopped you around the last two seasons. No one wanted you. Uh, so this year we're going to trade some pieces we don't know as much about because we're trusting remember him. when will myers came up with the rays and he was like a big big deal he was so good for a <laughs> yeah. couple of seasons um but this really all these trades really do make the padres uh, a force to be reckoned with and i just want to point out that like the rockies lineup is good we talked about it their pitchers have been all right the giants are playing pretty good baseball right now the national league west has been degraded and derided for many years um i know buster olney often called it the goat rodeo of the mlb because it was just poor competition this is a good division this is a division that has a bunch of good teams in it and you may legitimate i hope to god you don't because it'll probably mean the giants make the playoffs but you legitimately could see four teams from the nl west make the playoffs this season yeah i i still think that's unlikely. I I think the yeah better be unlikely. Yeah. Um, to your point though, Sam, uh, Will Myers has had some decent seasons, but his WRC plus has never eclipsed one fifteen, except for his rookie season with the Rays at one twenty nine. So that was the hype. He's at one fifty eight this season, um, but over obviously a small sample size. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah. So then another, in addition to Clevenger, probably the the other biggest pitcher on the move was, was Mike Miner, who uh, the Oakland A's traded for from, from the Rangers. Uh, Miner is, is a year removed from, from having a really nice season with the Rangers. Um, but he, he, he hasn't looked great so far this year, but the A's... You want to talk about calls? Go back to one of our first like five or so episodes. I talked about Mike Miner. I Mike Miner sucks. <laughs> He's a good pickup for the A's, but it, like it makes sense for the A's. But Mike yeah. Miner is not as good as he was last year. That was crazy what he did last year. Yeah, he was fourteen and ten with a three fifty nine ERA, but the xFIP said it all. He had a four sixty xFIP, and his, his xFIP is actually four fifty nine this year. So he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> He's been the same type of pitcher as far as the peripherals go. Uh, exactly, but, exactly. But last year, yeah, last year he overperformed. This year he's actually underperforming by a whole point. Yeah. So the ERA is two two runs lower at at five six. You know, I still think he's a good piece for the A's who who still needed some pitching. They they have you know just an. Insane. I mean, they're rolling out Mike Fires, who's not all that different of a pitcher than Mike Miner yeah. is. They're they they actually are really similar in my mind. They're both guys who they're going to eat some innings for you. I mean, he pitched 208 last year and given he had never done that before, um, 
he did 202 in 2013, but he's been injured off and on. He's a, he's a workhorse, fires the workhorse, and their bullpen is just so strong and so dynamic. Yeah. They have a, so many guys in there that as long as they can get some innings, they're going to be fine I, with that I, lineup. I'll, I'll say, like, I'm certainly not complaining if Mike Miner has to go, like, three or four innings in a playoff game for me. Like, oh, definitely yeah. not. No, I feel good about that. Yeah. So, Sam, that really only leaves two teams who made big moves who we haven't discussed. And those are our teams. And we didn't do this on purpose. We literally did it chronologically as the trades came in. But are you going to call wanna... are you going to call what the Mets did big moves? <laughs> they... Who do you want to talk about <laughs> first? Do you want to talk about the Mets moves, undetermined moves or the D-back? All right, let, let me talk about the Mets real quick because I don't have okay. that much to say about it. Okay, they triggered for Miguel Castro, who, you know, maybe he's a decent reliever, but they gave up, you know, a, a pitching prospect in Kevin Smith, who I think was like rated 12th in their system. It's just like, you know, whatever. I don't have any strong thoughts about it, but like, why are you just giving up, you know, players that you have team control over for for a long time just to act like you're making a trade. Uh, they got Robinson Chirinos and Todd Frazier from the Rangers for two players to be named later. I'm sure we'll find out later that those players are like uh, their top two prospects. Um, and I, I told you <laughs> earlier, Sam, I love them picking up Robinson Chirinos because put him with Wilson Ramos and they could lead any retirement home baseball team to their retirement home championship. Um, are they going to lead the Mets to a comeback into the playoffs? It's just like, so sure. yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure you need Todd Frazier when you already have like Andres. I love that they brought him back yeah, yeah. too. Like they just that, had that's him. such a classic Mets thing. Like, oh, we used to have this player, so let's let's bring him back because like exactly he hit a big home run for us four years ago, uh, last year, uh. And then Chirinos, like, yeah, he's he's batting below 200 this year. He's better defensively than Ramos, but, you know, we'll see how long Nito's out with COVID. But Nito's better than Chirinos. They're not going to play Nito when he comes back, Sam. They don't play their best players at yeah. any given time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what we saw here was a guy, you know, in Brody who is just you know, having his last hurrah as a general manager before uh-huh. our savior, Steve Cohen, fires him. Uh, and he thought, hey, it's the trade deadline, so I'm pretty sure that means I get to make a trade today. So he's like, I just want to have some fun. I, I'm the GM, so I'm yeah, going to make exactly. a trade. Exactly. And, and, that's exactly and, what he and did. That's, and that's basically what happened. And the moves were absolutely meaningless as far as they go as a team. They probably gave up some guy who's going to be a future decent major league player yeah uh it's just a joke all right i'll give you right. i'll give you the, the d-backs now give me the floor because i have i have a lot to say about the d-backs and we're already running over time so i'm going to get this out and then we're going to sign off and remind people and i'm going to remind you again people so listen good if you have some trades you want us to talk about if you have some players you want us to talk about if you have some stats you want us to talk about you know where to find us on Twitter at the Alonzo bet. If you want to email us because you're from an older generation where that's still newer technology, the Alonzo bet at gmail.com. And that's no shots to the older generation, by the way, we love you. You make up baseball's strongest fan base. Um, but we just want to be accessible to everyone. So find us there. 
Here's the thing about the D-backs, okay? They made three big moves. They traded Starling Marte, who outside of Cole Calhoun has been their best hitter this season. And when you look at metrics, Marte has been better than Calhoun. But Calhoun, as you watch the games, has been the only catalyst for their offense. Starling Marte contributes but never catalyzes uh, an offense from the uh, D-backs. The D-backs had a club option on him at $12 million next season, which in my opinion is cheap for his caliber of player right now. I think – Totally agree. Totally agree with that. He's a $15, $16 million a year player um, in my eyes. So I I was furious to see them move him from that perspective because even if they're not great this year, if you look at their roster, it's pretty good. Um, And they could have added a pitcher in free agency. There's a number of them that are going to be free agents this season. And I think they could have competed. So that made me upset. That said, the haul that they got back, I thought was pretty good. Caleb Smith is a pretty good pitcher. Um, he's, he's, he's not great, but I'd be pretty happy starting him fourth or fifth the, in a rotation. The, the he's got some good pitches. The D-backs just taken every, you know, pitcher they can from the Marlins. Zach Gallen, exactly. Caleb, yeah. Exactly. And Gallon's worked out great. Gallon's been amazing. Um, so I like Caleb Smith. Humberto Mejia is a guy who throws triple digits fastballs, um, was at one point a top, top prospect. His stock has fallen significantly, but I still love the upside here. Um, there's a player to be named later that's supposedly Julio Frias, but it's really those two pitchers for him. And so for me, I don't like that they moved Marte. I would have rather they kept him. But if they were going to trade him, I really don't mind the haul they got back. Um, I They might have been able to do better somewhere, but I don't think they could have done better in terms of combination, current, and future talent. So I, 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 do, I do like the trade from that perspective. Here's one I don't like. I guess there's four total trades. Andrew Chafin to the Cubs. Andrew Chafin, known in Arizona as the Sheriff. He does have an 8-4 or an 8-10 ERA this season, but he is a very good pitcher. He's very good on lefties, and he is good enough on righties that in the three-pitcher rule, he is still very, very serviceable. I don't know who the player to be named later is yet, so I can't hate, but the Cubs don't have a ton of guys. Um that I think would have the upside we need. And I do have to apologize here to uh, my friend, Jamie McFarland, who scouts for the Cubs, but um, I don't see a <laughs> lot of high upside uh, players in that Cubs organization. So you guys better send someone back good. Here's the, here's the one, right? Everyone thinks it's Robbie Ray. I already talked about Robbie Ray. I just think that the fact they got anybody back is an absolute miracle. The one for me is Archie Bradley because of all these players, Archie Bradley is the one who is a fan favorite. He hit that triple in like the 2016 NLDS. I want to say that is my all second all time favorite D backs play. And many D backs fans feel the same way about him. He is a shitty closer full stop. I don't think any team Uh, should really try to close him. But he is a good reliever. He's got a ton of intensity. He's got tremendous facial hair, which is something we respect in the industry. And the D-backs ship him to the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, for Josh Van Meter and some other 
guy, Stuart Fairchild, a right-handed pitcher who does not seem to have a ton of tools. Here's my thing with Van Meter. Van Meter is a power hitting outfield. Archie Bradley had a lot of trade value. He was pitching very well this year. He has closing experience. I, I think he was the best reliever on the market. I, I think he's better than Trevor Rosenthal. So mm. they trade him. But Rosenthal has having a decent like 14 games this season. Archie Bradley has been consistently a good reliever. Not amazing, but a good reliever for the last four years. There's no question that his value should have been higher than Rosenthal's. His upside is not higher, but his value in the trade market should be higher. Yeah, yeah, they're they're about equal in my eyes. But so Josh Van Meter plays corner outfield. We already have Cole Calhoun and David Peralta who are not leaving the lineup. Josh Van Meter is also a lefty, so you can't platoon him with either of them. He definitely cannot play center field, which is the whole Starling Marte leaves. So you get him as a second baseman, which is the position he played in the minor leagues but hasn't played in the major leagues, and he's a power bat. These guys need to get on base. He doesn't fit at all. I absolutely hate the addition. Stuart Fairchild is not going to be a major league pitcher in my eyes, and please, I hope I'm wrong. Please, I hope you come back to me in uh, one year's time and you say, what a moron you were. Stuart Fairchild's going to win rookie of the year this year <laughs> in the national league, but he's not going to, cause he sucks. So what are they doing? They basically just gave Archie Bradley away for two pieces who the trade value is not all that wrong. Cause Van Meter especially has pretty high upside. So the value is not totally wrong, but the fit is way off. The fit is way off. These guys do nothing for the D backs. Now, they do very little, if anything, for the D-backs in the future. And I am extremely disappointed in Mike Hazen, who I believe is a very good general manager and, Sam, a graduate of Princeton University. Oh, I know. Um, and I would have but, liked to see But him. I will say, like, the, D-back, the D-backs are, like, probably not going to make the playoffs this year. And, you take that back right now. <laughs> and, like, they have one more year of Bradley. So, like – Maybe maybe if he's pitching well next year, they 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 could get like a decent haul at the deadline next year. But maybe they felt. I just feel like prices at the deadline would be higher next year, or I feel like they could have traded him this year to a team for more than they got, or at least something that fits better. Yeah. That's just my point. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Maybe they just were high on these pieces. Uh, We'll, we'll have to see. I yeah. hope I'm wrong. So something super interesting. And again, this is the same shout out to my friend who's a Cub Scout. His name's Jamie McFarland. Must have been a genius. When I aired my grievances to him earlier, he told me, well, maybe they'll play Darton, Dalton Varsho, who is a catcher in center field. Um, he's a catcher in their minor league system. He's a great OPS guy. Um, he is like, a, you know, in the ilk of Joey Votto, but obviously they're not the same. Um, but he's exactly what the D-backs need. They started him in center field today. So credit to Jamie for that. Um, and also, I hope they continue to do that because they need guys who see pitches and get on base, and that's what Dalton Barshow does. So we'll have to see how this all works out. But overall, I'd have to say I'm upset with what the D-backs did. The Blue Jays made a big splash, and I think maybe outside of the Padres did the most to improve their team. The Padres do the most to improve their team. And some franchises who – just are not having to break their way this season are looking to improve for the long haul uh, in the Red Sox and uh, the angels a bit, uh, especially. So 
Uh, we'll have to see how all those moves work out, but stick with us uh, for our next episode. We'll be talking about what's going on in the major leagues. We'll bring you back a new stack corner. And as always, we'll have a very fun segment um, for you guys. Trivia, team building, who knows how we're going to play it next week. Yeah. Uh, trade deadline was, was fun to talk about, and we will see you guys next week. Signing off, I am Ken. And I'm Aaron. <laughs>